All right, welcome. Uh, this is Win 403 for AWS Directory Service for Microsoft Active Directory in the Deep Dive. And I'm Ron Cully. So uh, we'll go ahead and get started here. All right. Uh, I wanted to put, present this slide because I thought it presented kind of an interesting point. This comes from um, a Gartner group, and the, it was in a, in a presentation, or excuse me, a paper that they did last February on implementing an identity strategy for Amazon Web Services. And basically what they were saying is that many people are refactoring applications to run them natively in the clouds. So they're using you know, identity as a service, uh, building uh, things that are NoSQL or RDBM, RDBM, RDBMS, uh, and doing things on a cloud directory. But you don't have to wait until you've refactored things to really take advantage of the cloud. So there's a lot of existing applications that are on premises, on servers, using Active Directory, and there's an opportunity to move those into the cloud, running those services on EC2 and using a virtual Active Directory in the cloud. So we're gonna talk a little bit about today, today and we're gonna focus uh, mostly on um, a managed service offering that we have. So, whoops, let's go back to the right direction. All right, so you really have three options when you're looking at the cloud. One is you can run Active Directory on an EC2 instance that you manage yourself in the cloud. The second is that you could, uh, sorry, the first one is you could use it on your on-premises network and connect to it over a VPN or Direct Connect link. The second way is to run it on an EC2 instance in the cloud and use it there. And the third way is to use a managed Active Directory, which is we're gonna call um, AWS Managed Microsoft AD, and I'll just refer to it as Managed AD for short in the presentation. So we're gonna focus mostly on this third area, which is using AWS Microsoft, uh, AWS Directory Services for Microsoft Active Directory. And what we're gonna to cover today is we're going to cover uh, what this service is, um, what the shared responsibility model is for using this directory, uh, the deployment models that you can use it for, uh, how to set it up, uh, how to configure and administer it, and uh, the application support and the AWS application support and the use cases there uh, that exist for it. All right, so first let's talk about what the directory is. Uh, the directory is in Windows 2012 R2 domain controllers that are running on EC2 that, we, that at Amazon manages. And so you get two of these and each one of them is in a different uh, subnet the subnets are in different availability zones and that gives you some resiliency in case one of the subnets or one of the availability zones went down. Then you've got a second domain controller to use. Uh, it takes about three clicks to set it up. It's really pretty simple. You specify the name of your domain, um, you specify the administrative password, and you choose which VPC it's in. Everything else could be defaulted. If you want to set up which subnets you have the domain controllers in, you can do that as long as the subnets are in different uh, availability zones. Uh, the, uh, if you want to use this with more domain controllers, we also provide an ability to scale that out. So if you wanted to have you know, three or four or 10 or up to 20, you can do that. Um, it includes a dynamic DNS, so when you domain join instances to this directory, those are automatically in uh, DNS for you, just like it would be if you're running Active Directory in an on-premises environment or running it on EC2. And the service has been compliance audited for PCI, HIPAA, and also SOCT. So uh, if you have 
you know, applications that need to be HIPAA compliant, then you can use the directory and you don't have to worry about having your directory infrastructure all audited for HIPAA compliance. Now, the shared, it, it has a shared administrative responsibility model where Amazon operates the directory. That means we do the multiple availability zone deployment, we do the patching, we do the monitoring, we do the domain controller recovery if something happens to the domain controllers, we do snapshots on a daily basis, uh, and you can also do restores from there. So we, we manage all that part of it for you. So the part that you do is the administration of configuring password policies, setting up any users or groups you want to have up there, setting up trusts, doing, uh, if you wanted to use uh, LDAP-S as an example, you could, could set up a certificate authority to assign the certificate for LDAP-S use. Uh, we, you configure federation if you want to do federation outbound to something like um, uh, Office 365. And you also uh, use normal Active Directory users and computers and other administrative, administrative tools to do the management. And then if you want to add additional domain controllers, then you would do that. Now there are two different versions available. Just about a month ago, we released the standard edition. And the uh, key difference today is that is mainly in the, support, in, the, in the size of the directories. So the Enterprise Edition is 17 gigabytes of usable storage that's reserved for you. And that's where you put all of your directory objects and any uh, GPOs or things like that. Uh, standard Edition has one gigabyte for that. And so the, the approximate size, you know, it's not a perfect world here because it depends on, you know, if you have users with, you know, big, huge pictures for the employees, then the number of objects is going to be different than if you had users with no pictures. So uh, it, it's approximately around 100,000 employees for the Enterprise Edition, and it's around 5,000 employees is an appropriate match for the Standard Edition. The Enterprise Edition and the Standard Edition have the same feature set, uh, but longer term, we, we may uh, have, add some additional features to the Enterprise Edition. And uh, both of these products are priced at a per domain controller per hour. So if you have, uh, we have to have a two minimum DC. So in, uh, I think US East, uh, the pricing on the Enterprise Edition is 20 cents per hour per domain controller. So it's minimum of 40 cents an hour, and then it goes up in 20 cent per hour increments by DC. For the Standard Edition, it's uh, 12 cents an hour for the two domain controllers you get in, when you do your install, and six cents an hour for each DC after that. Uh, both of these are available under a 30-day limited free trial, so if you want to try this out and you've never tried any of the AWS Directory Service product offerings before, it's a 30-day it's a limited free trial. It's, it's 30 days or I think it's 1,500 hours. It's, if you look on the website, it'll give the exact numbers. I think it was 1,500 hours, uh, whichever comes first. And that's uh, 1,500 domain controller hours. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the deployment models that this can be used for. So one, one deployment model is you could use this as a primary directory in the cloud. So this is where you'd manage users, you'd have your computers, um, you'd have other objects up there you, you control, uh, you'd use group policy to manage those things just like you would in Active Directory in your on-premises environment. Another model would be, let's say you have a on-premises uh, directory or uh, maybe you set up um, Active Directory on EC2 instances that are running in a VPC in the cloud, what you can do is you can create the directory with a trust 
so that you can add resources to the managed Active Directory, managed AD, and have them use the identities that you manage in your primary directory. So as an example, let's say you want to use workspaces or you want to use RDS SQL Server and you want those objects managed up in the cloud, you could have them join to the domain in the cloud and use a trust to get to your uh, primary users in the directory. And this is a model that uh, earlier today, Capital One talked about how they're using the directory and this is the model that they use. Uh, you could also, if you had uh, managed AD in the cloud, using it as your primary directory, of course, you could also create a trust with a second directory if that made sense for you for your particular situation. So let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the prerequisites that you need, and these are, are covered in a, a, a lab that's available in our documentation. And uh, the first thing you'll need is you'll need to have a virtual private cloud, uh, so you'll create your VPC. Second is you'll have to have two subnets in different availability zones to uh, set up the directory. The next thing is you will have to have, if, if you have an on-premises directory, you wanna connect that to uh, the cloud or maybe you've got users in, that are using laptops or desktops in your on-premises environment, you could set up a direct connect or a VPN link to the cloud and connect it to that, your, that to your VPC. Once that's done, then you create the directory and during the creation process, Amazon creates two domain controllers uh, with dynamic DNS and those have uh, ENIs that are in the subnets that you specified. If you didn't specify a subnet, it picks two subnets that are in different AZs and it puts them there. Uh, once the, that's, uh, as those are created, we also create a security group that's shared by those uh, domain controllers and that's to manage the traffic into and out of the domain controllers. Now, if you take a look at what those uh, security groups do, is they have a 0.0.0/0 as .0 uh, the source address because we need to be able to accept traffic from anything that's inside that VPC. Now, these security groups are not on a public ENI. These are on a private interface for those security groups. Um, they're used only inside that private VPC, so they're not something that is a security risk unless you don't secure the traffic into your VPC, in which case you want to maybe do something different. Uh, now, these are broad because we have many customers that have a non-RFC 1918 address, so they're using public addresses in their corporate network. So they may be uh, companies that have been around for a while and they had a public IP address space that they had for their large corporate network and they're still using those and they need to be able to um, route traffic to those. So we had to have a default address of that. But if you don't like that, oh, now an important point is because these are promiscuous, you don't want to use those with other instances. Leave these security groups for the uh, directory and create your own security groups for your EC2 instances. And if you want to change these because you, you want to lock them down, you do have the ability to edit those. So um, after the creation, then what you'll need to do is uh, first you want to set, create your DHCP option sets so that any EC2 instances that you create in your VPC can automatically domain join to the uh, directory using uh, seamless domain join. Um, then you'll need to create a security group that you would use for your own EC2 instances, and uh, you also want to create an IAM 
role that has the policy Amazon EC2 role for SSM. And that will allow you to do a seamless domain join with uh, EC2. And, and uh, what that is is that when you create your EC2 instances, if you look at the console, there's a spot in there where it says uh, which directory do you want to join this to, and it gives a list of the directories that you've created in the VPC, and you can just say I want to join to that domain, and it will automatically domain join. You just have to specify the, the directory that you want to use and the role that has this policy associated with it. You'll also need a key pair file, a PEM file, that you use when you create your EC2 instances. And then you create an EC2 Windows instance that you'll use for administration purposes. So this is where you're going to run Active Directory users and computers, any of the other normal AD tools. Um, once you've done that, then you're going to manage your directory. And uh, um, so, but before you can do that, you've got to install the Active Directory tool set on your EC2 instance. So you're going to RDP into the EC2 instance that you just created that's domain joined. And you're going to go into um, add features in your server, in server manager in the dashboard. You go to uh, there and you'll add group policy management, ADDS and ADLDS tools, and the DNS server tools. And once you've added those, then uh, you can verif you'll verify that you have Active Directory, Administrative Center, uh, AD domain, Domains of Trust, the module for Windows uh, PowerShell, uh, Sites and Services, Users and Computers, ADSI, DNS, and Group Policy Management. So that now you have the environment on your EC2 administration instance that you use to administer anything to do with the directory. Now, as you manage it, there's the administration side and then there's the configuration side. So the administration side is going to be done from your uh, EC2 instance that you RDP into. And then if you want to do configuration, you go into the directory services management console and you do that from there. Now, if you go into uh, your EC2 instance to manage it, if you opened up AD uh, users and computers, what you would see is a structure in your tree, in your, in your AD tree that looks similar to this. You'll see on the left side, uh, ADS, or excuse me, Amazon is the domain administrator of the directory. We need to be the domain admin because if we were, if we uh, allowed you to be domain admin, then we, we could have a conflict. Let's say you have an on-premises active directory that you're using, and we were part of that tree, then we would have domain admin permissions into your directory and your on-premises network, and I don't think you really want that. So what we've set this up is that we're the domain admins of the directory that, of uh, the managed AD, we create an organizational unit that we delegate you as the administrator for. So on the right side, you'll see that you have a, an account that's called admin, not administrator. And the admin account has ownership of the organizational unit. In this case, it says example. And inside there, there's computers and there's users. And there's also managed service accounts. So you can do managed service accounts. The other uh, uh, containers, the AWS delegated groups, um, AWS reserve, the built-in, the computers, um, and the users that are at the root of the directory, those are in our control, and uh, you, don't, you, you don't add users to there. So what you'll do is you'll manage everything in the, the green space there. So you would add your users and your computers into the, into the OU. Um, if you take a look at the AWS delegated groups, you have permissions, uh, delegated permissions to add and remove users and groups to these 
different groups. And these allow you to uh, sub-delegate to different people in your organization who can do certain things like uh, uh, delegated administrators or uh, the people who can do enterprise certificate authority administration. Uh, you, can, you can set that up based on what you need in your organization. Now this is a, a change structure. How many people here are using uh, the managed AD product today? Anybody? Okay, we've got one guy over there, a couple, couple here and there. So if, you, if you've been using it for a while, you would have seen that those delegated groups were a little bit different. Uh, it used to be that the delegated groups were universal groups and they weren't domain local groups. And that created a problem because you couldn't take, if you had a trust from the managed AD to your on-premises AD, you didn't have the ability to take your on-premises users or groups and add them to the universal groups in the cloud. Now these are uh, domain local groups, so you can do that. So if you have a trust environment, you can take on-premises users, add them to these groups, they can log in to their on-premises Active Directory account and have administrative rights into the directory in the cloud. Does that make sense? All right, now if you're going to manage, uh, configure the directory, you do that from the AWS Directory Services consoles, which is down here in the bottom. And when you click there, uh, you'll get a list of all the directories that you've created in your account. And so in this particular case, I've got one directory that I've created. If you click on that directory, it takes you to a details page. And in the details page, this is where you're gonna do a number of different configurations of the system. The first one is the apps and services tab. In this tab, this is where you would uh, enable uh, applications, AWS applications like Workspaces or uh, Workmail or Quick, uh, QuickSight or uh, uh, WorkDocs, those kinds of applications. And when those applications are used, you, your, your users gain access to those applications by logging into a page and you need a URL to get them to that page. And so you'll see just underneath the, the uh, little finger there, there's a box that's called, um, that's a create an access URL. And that's where you'll specify a unique name that goes under um, awsapps.com. And that's the URL that you would do things like uh, if you're going to, let's say you wanted users to log in and do console administration using their Active Directory credentials, then they would use that URL to get to the page to log in. Um, the next thing is if you wanted to add domain controllers, then you can go to the domain controllers tab and you can see the uh, different domain controllers and the state of each of the domain controllers there. And you can also modify that and increase or decrease. You can't be go below two, but you can go up to right now a soft limit of 20. The next tab is the schema extensions tab. So if you have applications that require schema extensions, then this is how we did it. Um, there, there are some operations that are very privileged that we've got to be careful about the, the balance between our, our shared responsibility. And so in the case of, of scheme extensions, what we do is we have you upload an LDIF file and then uh, we will check the LDIF file to make sure it doesn't have any external URL references, which can be a security uh, issue. If that's not there, then we take a snapshot of your directory. We take one of the domain controllers out of replication. We make it the schema master. We apply the LDIF file to that schema master. After the uh, schema update has been made, 
Then we check to make sure the directory is still operational, that nothing in the LDIF broke the directory. If the directory is still operational, then we join it back into the other domain controller. Uh, they do the replication, and now your schema is ex extended. And if you have a problem along the path, or if you get done with your schema extension, go, wait a minute, I really didn't mean to do that, you can go back and restore from the snapshot that we took immediately before we started the process. So that's the way schema extensions work. We also have a snapshots tab here, and this is where you, uh, we take daily snapshots of the directory. So uh, you get up to five, uh, we keep them for up to five days, and then we age out the oldest one. You also have the ability to manually create snapshots. If you're going to take, do some operation, you wanted to take a snapshot beforehand, you can do that. You can create a snapshot. Uh, also from this page is where you would do a restore. Now, uh, I want to be uh, uh, clear about something. Every once in a while, you might see impaired up there. That doesn't mean that the directory isn't operational. So a lot of people go, oh my god, my directory's dead. Uh, and, and they go, I've got to restore quick. So that then, you know, restore on an active directory is always the data loss situation. You took a snapshot in time, people have done changes since you did the snapshot. So you don't want to do those. Uh, if you see impaired, it just means that the, the domain controllers are not 100% all the way there. It could be that maybe you had a peak demand for a little bit and your CPU utilization went too high and it goes into an impaired state until it comes down a little bit below the threshold, and then it'll go back out of an impaired state and into an active state. So don't panic if you see impaired. It, it's, it's normal to see impaired directory every once in a while. And uh, if you do find that you really need to, you feel like you really need to do an install, just call our support line first, because we may be able to help you avoid doing that, that data loss uh, action. You know, restore should be really a, a a worst case scenario, last resort solution to any problem. Uh, you don't want to do that just willy-nilly there. Okay, all right, the next thing is uh, multi-factor authentication. Now, I mentioned earlier that, th that there's a number of AWS applications that work with the directory. And when you log into those, you log into them through a URL to get to the application. When you go through that login page, you can apply multi-factor authentication to that authentication process. This is not MFA for general uh, directory access. It's only for the AWS applications that are connected. And it, it does this through radius, and so this is where you configure where your radius server is, and it will route the, the uh, authentication to your radius server, and it will work with the MFA solution that you have installed with your radius server. Now, it's designed to use uh, one-time passwords. It's the primary model. Um, some people have used it with, uh, with what is it, um, Azure MFA. And in Azure MFA, it has an out-of-band MFA model. So you, when you go and authenticate, you might get a text on your phone with a number and you've got to respond back with a number, and you're doing that through your phone. You're not doing it from the computer. And so the MFA code isn't needed in the login screen, except right now in, in the implementation we have, it expects to see that. So you can use it, uh, what, what the user does is they put their password in twice, once in the password field and once in the MFA field, because right now this, the login screen requires both of those fields to be filled out if you're using something like Azure MFA. All right, the next thing is uh, IP routing. 
Um, this one is useful, particularly if you have on-premises computers with public IP addresses. So this is where you're gonna specify any routes that need to get to special places. Uh, so that the default route is, if, if you don't do this, and you have a public IP address in your internal network that tries to do an Active Directory operation, when we respond to it, we send it out a different interface. It doesn't go back into your VPC. So you wanna make sure you get your routes set up in here if you have something other than uh, private IP addresses. And then the next one would be trust relationships. If you are using the directory uh, with trusts to um, other directories in the cloud or on-premises at AD, then you would come here to set up your trusts. And it supports one-way outgoing, one-way incoming, and two-way trusts. And when you set those up, you would set up conditional forwarders and you tell it what the direction is and what the, um, the password, the initiating password is. Once the trusts are up, they do an auto-rotate of the passwords just like normal Active Directory does. The next tab here is for monitoring, and this is where you can set up SNS notifications as an example for different events so that you can keep tabs on what's going on in your directory. So th those are the, the key things you, you do inside of the directory for management purposes. So I wanna talk a bit about uh, application support and the different use cases there. All right. So the first thing is you've got an active directory, in the, you, you create the managed directory in the cloud and you can use it as a primary directory where you put your users uh, and groups in the cloud. And then from there you can also um, domain join and manage EC2 instances or Linux instances, instances as well. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, there's a, a, a spot in the, in the console when you're creating EC2 instances to tell it which directory you wanna join to and it will do that automatically. Once you've got instances that are domain joined, you can also run a variety of different applications for AD aware workloads. So things like um, uh, you can do remote desktop licensing manager, you can do that. And uh, we've delegated the management of the um, RD, the, with, uh, the TL terminal service licensing server group you have delegated control over that, so you can add servers to that group and uh, uh, run a terminal server in the cloud. You can also run a, lot, a whole variety of .NET applications in the cloud. Uh, you can run SharePoint, uh, SQL Server. Uh, you can run the Microsoft CA there. And what we've done is we, uh, have, I mentioned earlier, we've got the scheme extensions. Uh, we added group managed service accounts to the product, so you have the ability to create those. So let's say you've got an application you don't wanna embed the uh, passwords into, you can have a group managed service account and uh, Windows and Active Directory automatically rotate those passwords for those applications. So that's really great to use if you've got like .NET applications or SharePoint or uh, SQL Server always on availability groups, something like that, you can use those group managed service accounts. It also supports Kerberos constrained delegation. So if you have applications that you want, um, let's say you've got a, a, an application, uh, maybe an HR application, and you want the user that's using that HR application to be constrained so that when they get to a screen and they try and do a database query, that the database query runs in the context of that user instead of the application, 
then you can give uh, Kerberos constrained delegation to your application. And then the application will basically assume the, the identity of the user that's coming in using constrained Kerberos delegation. So we have that, that's ability, that capability for you. Uh, you can also register for change notifications in the directory. So if something happens uh, with a change in the directory, then your application can be notified. That's something that SharePoint uses. And uh, as I mentioned, you can add the Microsoft Enterprise CA to the directory and automatically assign certificates to machines. And that, as an example of that, you could enable LDAPS in the directory by creating a certificate that auto-enrolls into the managed domain controllers that we have. I mentioned uh, the, the different AWS applications and services. Uh, on the top left, we've got AWS Management Console. So let's say that uh, you have existing users in your Active Directory on-premises, and you don't want to have to create a IAM identity for them to manage resources in the AWS cloud. What you can do is create a trust your on-premises directory. In this case, I'm showing it where it's, you're using it as a primary directory. I could create users in this directory, and they would use the same um, Active Directory identity to log in to the AWS management console as they do to Windows. And so you don't have to create extra identities that way. Uh, what we do is you, you just create a, an assignment of an AD identity or an AD group to an IAM role, and when they log in through the console, they specify their AD credentials, and then they can assume those roles. Amazon Workspaces also works with the directory, so in that situation, you um, uh, go into workspaces and you want to create a workspace, you can look up the user in the directory and then create the workspace and it domain joins the instance to uh, AWS Managed AD and uh, then you can do group policy management of the workspaces. RDS for SQL Server always use, also uses this. Uh, RDS SQL Server must only be used with AWS Managed Microsoft AD and that's because um, if it was part of your domain, you would have domain admin control over this managed service and that creates a problem with them being able to deliver an SLA around a managed service because you have access into the managed service. So uh, what they do is they, they domain join to the managed AD and then you can create a one-way trust to your on-premises directory or to a directory that's running on EC2 where your identities live. So you can choose whether you're using it as a, as, as a primary or a second or a resource source. We also have uh, WorkDocs uh, that can use the directory, uh, QuickSight, if you're, uh, or Amazon Connect, or Chime, or WorkMail, those can all work with the directory. This, um, in addition to that, we recently released a blog post, and we're gonna do a session tomorrow, I think it's at 5.30, I do a session, uh, it's, a, it's a, um, a chalk talk on how to do this. You can add um, Azure, uh, Azure AD Connect, and you can add ADFS to the directory and connect it to Azure AD so that your users that are in your primary directory in the cloud can use Office 365. So you can literally set up your entire environment in AWS and still be using Office 365. Now the second uh, um, configuration would be where your users exist in, an, in, a, in your corporate data center or on a EC2 instance somewhere, and that's where you would create a direct connect link or a VPN link, or if it's in the cloud, you wouldn't have to do those. You could use a, 
uh, VPC peering, or if it's in the same VPC, uh, you could just uh, create a trust, and that allows you to do authentication and authorization using identities that are in a AD that you have full administrative management control over. And in that case, you would not use the ADFS and Azure AD Connect on the managed AD. Instead, you would use that against your own uh, directory and connect to Office 365. So in this case, um, your users have access to Office 365, and they can also go up and use these AWS applications and services in the cloud or the .NET applications you have, and that all works that way through the trust. All right. So let's talk for a minute about uh, uh, trusts. Uh, they're a time-tested model that's been around for almost 20 years. And um, it's, it was kind of the original federation model that came out before we had things like uh, SAML. And uh, in this case, there's a direction. And the, the direction of the trust is opposite the direction of access. So if I have a trust from a managed AD to a uh, directory that you control, then the access is from your users in your on-premises network into the managed AD. And in this particular case, um, the cloud has no administrative control over what's inside of your directory because it's trusting you. It's, you're not trusting it. And your admins in the cloud, so the admins in the cloud can't really do a lot you have control over what goes into the cloud in terms of the, what users and groups you put into the, the directories in the cloud. So in the bottom right corner, you can see that you can create domain local security groups and you can take your on-premises users or your universal security groups from on-premises and add them to the domain local security groups in the cloud. And that allows you to have access from on-premises into the cloud. Uh, when you do that, you wanna make sure you're securing them. Um, SID filtering is uh, the, you know, the security identifiers that are in Active Directory can change over time, and you want to make sure that you only permit the most current SIDs for a user to traverse a trust. And so by default, Active Directory in your on-premises network and also in the cloud leave SID filtering on. So don't turn it off, leave that on. It strips away legacy SIDs that exist in the user's Kerberos ticket um, that you want there to access services that you had. Let's say I have a user that had access to a service on premises and then their SID changed over time. I don't want to lose service to what they had access to. So it preserves their old SID to that old service in their Kerberos ticket. But when it, they traverse into the cloud, you don't want to pass that SID up to the cloud because there's an attack that can occur. So SID filtering just strips out all the legacy ones and leaves only the current SID for the user. Uh, another thing you want to do is use selective authentication. Selective authentication prevents um, a user from the cloud from being able to come onto your on-premises directory and use anything unless they've been specifically granted access to a resource that's on a machine in your on-premises network. And that only comes into play if you decided you want to do a two-way trust. And there are some times that two-way trusts are important. So. Uh, as an example, when workspaces is created, it needs to look inside your directory to find the users to create workspaces for. And the only way we can look inside your directory is if we have read access into that, and we don't have read access if we only have a one-way trust from the cloud to your on-premises directory. The only way we get that is if we have a, a trust from your directory to us, then we can come in and we can read your directory. 
So if you leave selective authentication in place, if you put that on, then we can't do anything other than just read the directory to provision those applications. Um, you only need a two-way trust if, um, if the applications require it. And so the applications that require it are things like uh, Workspaces, WorkDocs, WorkMail, uh, Workspaces, QuickSight. Uh, Connect actually has a different model where they will do an import of users. So you can run a tool and get an extract of a, I think it's a, um, a CSV file of the users in the on-premises network. They'll import these CSV users and then you can use a one-way trust with Connect. Uh, the other thing you want to do is only open the ports that are necessary and there's a TechNet article that covers a lot of the detail about which ports you need to have open. Uh, a trust has fewer ports that are required than if you're doing replication, so that can help uh, reduce the stress with, when you're doing your security audits and what you have to open up. And um, if you have on-premises machines that need access to the directory in the cloud, you want to make sure you're opening up the ports for AD authentication uh, for those um, devices that need to go that way. And so there's a couple of links there that will be in this deck. And the deck is, uh, will be available at the end of the week. I understand they're going to be publishing all this. Um, let's talk about the um, VPCs and account considerations. So if you have AWS applications that are using your directory, those applications have to be in the same account as where your directory is. So if you're using QuickSight or Amazon Connect or Chime or WorkMail or WorkDocs, those have to be in the same account. Um, so that works. If you have RDS uh, for SQL Server, that has to be in the same VPC. That's the only way that it's able to discover the presence of the directory. And so you need to, that, that will work and then it can domain join there. Um, workspaces have to be in the same VPC um, in order to find the directory as well. And then EC2 can be in the same VPC. It can do a, a seamless domain join. If it's outside of this VPC, you can manually domain join it. But if the EC2 instance is in a different VPC that's peered, you won't get seamless domain join because it, doesn't, it can't discover the directory. Now, if you have a different VPC and you try and put RDS SQL Server in it and peer it, that will not work. And if you have the applications in a different um, account, they will not be able to, to work with that directory at this point. So those are some considerations around how the, how the accounts work. All right. Um, so options, how do you, the big question comes up is, well, what do you do if I have multiple VPCs and I, and I need trusts? How do I set this up? What's the best way of doing this? Well, let's say that you've got uh, uh, maybe RDS SQL Server that you want to use and it exists in multiple VPCs. Maybe you have line of businesses that each want RDS SQL Server, you want to charge it to them. Uh, you can have those line of businesses each have their own VPC and you can put a directory in each one of those line of business VPCs and then do a trust from each of those back to your central identity um, directory. So that's one way of doing it. This is the way that Capital One presented this morning how they, they, how they do their environment. And they've got it all un automated on how they do the setup and configuration of the security groups and so forth. If you didn't, didn't get a chance to see that presentation, you might want to look for that after the conference is over. Uh, look for the session that Kenny Hill did. Um, now what this option does is it, pres it preserves the VPC boundaries for you. 
So if you're using VPCs for security purposes, you get to keep those boundaries and the billing will go to the VPC owner. So if you created a directory in VPC1 and your RDS SQL Server in VPC1, then that account gets the bill. Uh, this solution does cost more because you have a, an active directory in each one of your VPCs with a trust back to a central location. If you're concerned about trust, then the alternative way of doing this is that you can peer your VPCs together. Uh, you can put all of your um, SQL Server instances in the same VPC where the directory is, and you can use tagging to uh, handle the billing. So when you get your billing, you'll be able to see, you can do uh, um, cost accounting, cost allocation using tagging to bill the RDS SQL Server back to the, the departments that wanted that service. And you could, uh, if you wanted to run EC2 in other uh, accounts, then you can do peering with those and do manual uh, domain joining using scripting. You know, you can use PowerShell scripting or whatever to, to join to the domains. So that's the other option. And this option saves you some money. Um, it, it still allows you to do the billing. Uh, it's just not as clean as it would be if you did billing through VPCs. And the one uh, challenge is that it crosses your VPC boundaries a little bit. Uh, in terms of how that has to be managed. Because you now have uh, um, the directory in the same account as your SQL Server, and so you wanna make sure you're using IAM roles to protect who has access to what, so you don't have uh, RDS administrators managing your directory or vice versa. So you have to manage that through roles. Um, let's see. All right, uh, there's a whole slew of, of references here that I've got for you uh, that you'll be able to pick up after the event when you pick up this presentation. I do want to call out uh, um, a couple of them. Let's see, there's a security blog. Uh, if the, uh, we post all of our new uh, features through the AWS security blog, so that's something to be watching for. You can search for AWS Managed Microsoft AD, and we've got a lot of different blog posts about the features, and like, there's blogs up there on how to do schema extensions or how to um, assign AD users to IAM roles for uh, managing AWS resources and so forth. Uh, we also have a blog post up there on how to use Azure AD Connect with ADFS to connect into Office 365, which I'll be covering tomorrow, after, uh, tomorrow evening as well. Uh, then let's see, the other thing I wanted to do is call out some other sessions that you might wanna check out. Um, tomorrow I'm doing the Win 311 United, uh, Unified Access Management with AWS Managed Services for Microsoft AD. This is a, a, a chalk talk, and so if you wanna talk about your specific uh, questions and details about your environment, this would be a great one to come to. Um, the SID 202 I mentioned earlier, that's the one that Kenny Hill uh, did this morning on how Capital One is using the directory. Uh, we're doing the, um, there's a, another session, Win302, Deep Dive on Active Directory from one to many AWS regions. That one is gonna talk a little bit more about EC2-based AD and how to do that when you're doing a multi-region environment. So that might be of interest to you. Uh, let's see. And then of course, I'm, I'm, the, I'm doing the integrating AWS managed Active Directory into Office 365 tomorrow at 5.30. Uh, there's a whole bunch of others here as well that you might want to look at if you're interested in workspaces. There's some sessions there that talk about how they use the directory. And so you might want to check those out.